Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader Podcast is Michelle Cripolani. Michelle is the CEO of Ocean House Media, a company that creates apps for mobile devices. Some of their hits include a series of apps based on the Dr. Seuss book series. He's also the CEO of Extality, a company that designs and develops applications for augmented reality and virtual reality. Michelle, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to, great to be on the podcast. So Michelle, I know it's been a while since you started your first company, but what inspired you to get started as an entrepreneur? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm dating myself. It was pretty far back um, in 1989. Um, I had an internship and it was at a small company that I thought I'd be working with. It was uh, doing early interactive multimedia design. And um, the the employment uh, did not work out. But what did work out is that someone from that firm reached out to me and said, you know what, if you're not going to be starting to work here, why don't the two of us go start a business? And um, it just, it seemed like an interesting idea. We sat down, we had a beer, um, literally over the span of one night, and we just said, all right, let's go for it. So eight days out of university from graduating from UC San Diego, we decided to start uh, an early, early interactive design firm trying to sell multimedia long before people even knew what the word was. What was that ride like in terms of starting your first company eight days out of university? I mean, that, that's incredible, especially if you didn't have that inkling before during college. Yeah, you know, it was really um, pretty crazy. I, I was... Um, learning a lot from my partner at the time who I was thinking, you know, is this senior guy who knew so much more than I did now with the benefit of hindsight, I look back, he was only like four years older than me, but somehow working with a partner gave me a lot of confidence to just say, yeah, we can do it. We started lining up some, um, clients. We really, you know, got ourselves out there. Um, and actually some really cool work came out of it. I ended up, uh, programming the world's first interactive multimedia magazine, um, during those years. And we did some pretty groundbreaking projects. It wasn't a super financially successful company, but for two years, I was able to pay myself and made a name for myself and started to understand what running a business was all about. What was it like in terms of some of those leadership mindsets and skills? And a lot of the focus on this podcast is, of course, about leadership. And what were some of, the, some of those things you had to learn along the way? I think one of the biggest things was just learning that... Um, to tackle everything with a can-do attitude, almost like, um, you know, rather than looking at a problem and sort of saying, um, we don't know how to get over this wall, the question is a little bit more like, how can we get over this wall? Or how can we get around it? Or how can we break through it? Um, there's just so much of that in entrepreneurship. Um, I find that creative problem solving is one of the most important skills of all entrepreneurs. And creative problem solving starts with the assumption of, yep, we're going to be able to solve this. Now, how are we actually going to do it? 
um, you know, many years later, I, I can remember signing contracts with, I signed a contract with Microsoft. It was a multi-million dollar deal. And I turned to my CTO and I said, we're going to be able to do this, right? And he said, I have no idea how we're going to do it. And I signed the paperwork anyhow. And we just said, well, we're going to figure it out along the way. So there's, there's an attitude of just a knowingness of uh, putting yourself on a limb and saying, yep, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. Instead of saying why this won't work, it's just how can this work? How can we make this work? Exactly. Because, you know, um, boy, I tell you, every business I've started, I could find, you know, if I talk to 10 people, nine people would say that's the stupidest idea ever. You're never going to make any money. Don't even try to do it. Um, so if you listen to too many people, it's it, I don't know. You just kind of have to say, yes, we're going to be able to figure it out. We're going to be willing to put ourselves in a position of pain. We know that we have to um, solve it. And you put a bunch of smart people together and you just do what you need to do. Yeah, people always talk about the restaurant business as being notoriously challenging and what percent fail, I think nine out of 10. But I always think about as an entrepreneur, well, tell me an easy business to start and I'll go do that. Oh, it's it's just, yeah. I don't know that there is a, such a thing as an easy business. I'm heavily involved with this group called uh, Entrepreneurs Organization. It's 14,000 people around the world that have all started businesses that have achieved a certain level of success. Um, there's about 200 members in San Diego. And I just look around and I'm like, Every person feels like they must be working one of the hardest businesses they've ever worked and solving challenges that no one's ever solved. Um, I think it just comes with the territory. Absolutely. The entrepreneurship journey is definitely not always an easy one. Nope, nope. But it can be very rewarding, both um, not, not, and not only just financially, but just you know, mentally and, and everything else. I just get so much joy from it. When things go well, it's just so much fun. In terms of reflecting back on your first company, but really any of the four that you started, what are some of the challenges you've encountered specifically from a, a leadership perspective? Any new mindsets you had to develop? Anything you had to break through to be successful? Yeah, I mean, the the most successful companies, when I look back on them and I ask why were those particular companies or those years of those companies successful, it always comes down to the team that we were able to build and the motivation that we were able to um, infuse in those people. Um, when you have a multidisciplinary team that is just motivated to crush it, um, nothing can stop you. Um, and you know the tricky thing is it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to find the right people. It's hard to find a way to motivate them. Um, and, uh, it, and, when you get it all lined up, it's just like magic because then you just step back and watch and um, the teams, amazing teams do incredible things. Yeah, absolutely. It really does come down to the team and starts with getting the right people on board. Always. I've always thought about in terms of how you motivate people in terms of being more nuanced in terms of approaching people with different styles, different motives, different personalities in different ways to be most successful. But what do you do in terms of building the best teams within your companies? Um, so I, let me see the best way to build the best teams at the core. I'm always looking for people that are willing to learn and willing to grow. Um, I will take someone with less experience that has the right attitude compared to someone that has a, an incredible skill set, but a really shitty attitude. So it's all about, um, having the team dynamic and folks that are really, really, um, motivated and driven and, and, 
you know, as a leader, we have to understand what drives people. In a lot of cases, it's not financial. Financial is a component, but most often people are driven by things that have nothing to do with money. They want to have a sense of purpose. They want to have a sense of doing something that's important. They want to do something of scale. And when the leader can paint that vision and say, hey, you know, when you are a, a member of this team, we together will achieve X, Y, Z. Um, that's when you can really get people to, to give you their all. And that's what you need, especially in a startup and in a true entrepreneurial setting. You need people to give you their all if you really want to succeed. Definitely. It's, it's funny. It's actually a lot of times people lead with money as, a, as being the number one driver if they're trying to land a new job or a new career. But when you tease it apart, it's always something more important, a sense of purpose, a sense of accomplishment, or as you mentioned, just being part of a fantastic team. Yep. Yeah, I, I found that being part of a fantastic team alone gets the gets the right people to be on board. I think back to some of the teams that I had, for example, at uh, Presto Studios, my second company, when we were doing independent uh, video game design, and some of the work that we were doing when we were doing Mist Three and and some of these incredible projects. Um, you know, those teams were just insane, and to see where those folks have gone now uh, is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's got to be a huge sense of accomplishment to develop people and to see them go on and be wildly successful in their future career in life. One of my one of my dearest friends started as an intern with us at Presto, and uh, I remember distinctly the phone call that he he called me about two years ago, and he said, "You are the first person I'm telling other than my wife, but I am about to accept a job as a vice president of Disney, and I'm going to have a team of uh, a thousand technicians underneath me." And I was just like, "Dude, that is wow. crazy!" You know, I remember when we were sitting playing video games together, and you were in junior high school. You know. It's um, it's amazing, and it, it's it's an incredible feeling when you can help people and and help just contribute even a small piece to building up their career. Absolutely, what what a fantastic sense of accomplishment! I know personally for me, people I've mentored, but also those who've mentored me, I, I always love to share those successes of hey, you know, look what I did or look what I accomplished. It's just such a a great thing that people really appreciate. Yeah, and I think the best managers sort of get themselves out of the way. You know, when you can. When you can help people to be the best that they can be, um, instead of focusing on yourself so much, um, that's really where a lot of that uh, that special, you know, fairy dust resides. Um, people that really want to get better, the manager finds a way to open those doors, help them out, help them to learn and grow, and then that's what starts that flywheel cycle of uh, the company getting what they need and the individual getting what they need as well. Something that struck me was you've been in the game for design and development for a long time, since mm -hmm. the early days of your career. Mm -hmm. And something I think is a struggle sometimes as an entrepreneur is how do you continue to stay sharp? How do you learn? How do you get better? And from your career, I know you had a stint at Autodesk where you're part of more of a corporate entity with, a, mm -hmm. I imagine, a strong learning and development arm. But how have you grown? How have you learned? Because I know right now you've entered into to AR and VR applications. And what have you done to stay sharp and to learn new skills? Yeah, that's a pretty deep question. Um, I try to, my target every year is to read about 50 books. Um, I consume a lot of um, tech information online as well. And I really try to um, make sure that I'm um, I'm sharp and I understand what's going on with the trends. I'm a big fan of the work of Peter Diamantis, 
um, and his books, uh, Abundance and Bold and The Future is Faster Than You Think, and um, a lot of the folks coming out of Singularity. So I'm, I'm very much in the tech side. So those are those are things that have interest to me. Um, on the business side, that's one of the reasons I mentioned it earlier um, with Entrepreneurs Organization. Um, you know, surrounding myself with other entrepreneurs that are all pushing and striving. Um, I learn a ton from the people around me. Um, and then I learn a lot from the world-class leaders that we, we bring in as speakers. So, um, just a, I guess a quick short plug on that for anyone on this podcast that is an entrepreneur or thinking about one, look into entrepreneurs organization because they have an accelerator program that helps people once they get their businesses started and they really help them to grow up. Yeah. You make a great point that that peer to peer development is so important. And I often work with people that, in terms of looking for mentors, I encourage them to look externally as well. Of course, your boss, your supervisor, your co-founders, your leadership team members, but working with people who sit in similar chairs, they feel that hot flame from the, the marketplace pressures is really a beautiful way to, to connect with people and to learn and to grow and, and to push each other, but also to hold one another accountable. Yeah. And, and hundred percent on target. And, and the, you know, the times that I have been the most successful in business is, um, speaking, coming back to that team, when I can sit down with a team and I look around the room and I say, I am definitely not the most knowledgeable person here. I am not the most skilled person here. And actually I'm lucky to be sitting at this table. Um, and I think the real danger is oftentimes managers and leaders reach a point where, Everyone in the room is looking to them for answers and solutions. And um, I've learned from firsthand experience that when it reaches that point, um, the business is really at a, at a precipice and in a bad place because uh, you do not want to be the most knowledgeable person at the table or else it's going to stunt the growth of the business. That's a great point is you're comfortable with not knowing the answers to every situation. A lot of times people feel like the most senior person has to have all the answers, but really it's, it's a facilitator. It's about bringing on the best people that have subject matter expertise and really that complement the skills that you do have. I think that's exactly it. You know, the best managers are really coaches. They're coaches of their people. They don't have to be, um, knowledgeable in the industry. The best example of that is a friend of mine, uh, he's become a friend of mine, um, Alan Mulally, who um, is the CEO. He was at Boeing. He was the CEO that turned around Ford um, and has had a very, very successful career in managing. And it's interesting because when he went into Ford, people looked at him and said, what do you know about, you know, building automobiles? And he mm -hmm. said, I, I don't, but I, but I know how to run teams. And, you know, by the way, we used to build airplanes. And if you have a mistake in an airplane, it falls out of the sky. I think I can figure out automobiles. But the earliest manager meetings that he had, when people came to him and said, we have a problem, he would say, I don't know what to do, but let's go find someone who can help. And usually in most cases, within a day or two days, they would find someone within the Ford organization that had the knowledge that they needed to solve their problem. So I think when managers look for the answers inside themselves, oftentimes they're limiting the possibility of what could be instead of really reaching out to folks that are true industry experts. But of course, that that requires some level of vulnerability and transparency. And a lot of people I found earlier in their career are not comfortable they're afraid to admit they don't know the answer to something to be you know, a, a light shine on them. Anything, any advice you give to people in terms of how they can have that right mindset to know they don't have to have all the answers? I believe that um, leaders show strength 
through their authenticity when they are able to say, um, I acknowledge the group's, um, um, you know, if the group has said something, I acknowledge that the group has said this, there is a problem. And there's very, very, there's a tremendous amount of strength in the words saying, I don't know. I don't know. Like we, the reality is we don't all know. I mean, I'm not an expert in, in interactive design and microchip this and battery that and whatever and marketing and all the things and, you know, whatever else I might have to touch. But I know how to find people that can answer those questions for me. And I think the best leaders are the ones that are assembling the teams and just pulling the information in from the outside. Um, yeah, it's it's an easy trap to fall into to think that because I've been put on this pedestal or because I'm in charge, I need to have all the answers. And I think it's a real it's a real problem. Yeah, there's a, definitely a, a perception around that. So it's important for people to realize that it, it's okay to not have the answers. And that actually is a, a trait of a fantastic leader. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's certainly my my MO. That's how I lead. I'd like to just to refer back when I interviewed you for the the Savage Leader book, one of the topics that we discussed in depth was around self-limiting beliefs. And that's something that that I work a lot with with clients, but also on myself in terms of what are those beliefs, where do they come from? And most importantly, how do you tackle those things? Can you just give me your perspective in terms of sharing the, some of the self-limiting beliefs you had? I know you talked about it as it pertained to the launch of Ocean, uh, of Ocean House Media, but just what are the source of those? What were some of those things that were getting in your way? Well, the thing is, it's so easy to play small in life. And, you know, I I don't know about you, but I, I look up to a lot of leaders out there that have been successful. I know some of these folks have character flaws, whether it's Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or whatever. I mean, they're strong leaders. They have issues. Let's not get into the the, the details of it. But one thing that's common for all of them is they were willing and able to dream big and put out some big visions. And one of the things that I have had to work on for myself is dreaming bigger and tackling things that are bigger. It's easy to sit um, sort of and not strive too hard. You know, what if I fail uh, mentality? I'm not going to put myself out there. And now that I'm, you know, I've done this long enough now, I'm in my 50s. Um, I have learned that all of my most successful, proud moments have come when I have literally put myself out on a limb and done something um, beyond my current skill set or my capabilities at the time when I said yes. Um, and that is everything from personal life to business choices to um, even even uh, the woman that I married. I, true story. Um, the very Karen and I met online. The very first time I saw her, I was completely stunned, and I literally went into self talk of, "You can do this. You can do this. You can do this." So, like, no joke. On all levels, I've had self limiting beliefs, and in the case of Ocean House Media, it was actually Karen that said, you know, why don't we try to go after the rights for Dr. Seuss? And I was like, you know, we're just, it's just the two of us and we're running this business out of our house and we're just small and we haven't gotten to the scale yet. We haven't achieved what we need to do yet to be able to pitch it. And it took me a while to get there with her encouragement to really think like, okay, wait, how could I do this if we were to do this? And it didn't take more than 10 minutes of thought before I had a possible path forward that we were able to execute on. And it wasn't more than two weeks or 
a month perhaps tops before we had a verbal agreement on a deal with Dr. Seuss Enterprises. So um, we have to be willing to dream big if we want to have big lives. And I don't know about all the listeners on the podcast, but personally, I'm interested in having a big, extraordinary life. And I realized that in order to do that, I have to not only dream big, but I have to be willing to jump off the cliff and uh, build the wings on the way down. Yeah, that putting yourself in a, a point and place of discomfort is really important, not just to grow, but to really tackle those self-limiting beliefs. So for me, I always had a self-limiting belief about English capability because I didn't get into AP English in, in high school and struggled to analyze literature in college. But what I realized is that it wasn't saying, hey, you're not a great writer or even an okay writer. It was you're struggling with some analyzing some literature. And so for me, part of the impetus for writing the book was really around challenging myself to do something I didn't think I could do or never thought I could do, you know, never associated myself as an author. and I still don't, but it'd just be a fun challenge to sign myself up for. I think that's it. I think that um, if there's an inkling of interest to do something, and even if the skill set is all the way at rock bottom, and I'm not saying that your English skill set was rock bottom, but even if it is, um, hard work and a desire to learn it can actually pay off. Um, I tend to do a lot of public speaking. I, I have learned that my public speaking goes better when I interject humor. And there's a little bit of a natural wit that I that I enjoy that I have sometimes when I'm on stage. And I realize that um, that doesn't just come magically. It comes with practice. And I actually took uh, some stand-up comedy lessons um, at the encouragement of Karen to say, like, this is important. This is going to help you talk about being out of your comfort zone, trying to do stand-up comedy. Um, and yet now I've learned the basics of how to do joke writing and how to do this and how to do delivery. Um, all of these things help. Um, and I want to touch on one thing that you mentioned. I think that we get caught up on what did we do when we were in school? Where were we in a formal environment? And how were we relative to our peers? And I realized that, I mean, it doesn't matter what class I was taking in high school or college, in about, you know, one to three months of dedicated study now at my age, I could I could learn anything I needed to learn at whatever level I needed to learn at, you know, at, at a college level or whatever. I mean, all these universities have all these courses that are all available. Um, there's nothing stopping us from learning anything in the world that we want to learn. It's really just time and desire. Yeah, there's so many resources out there from digital tools to books to people to speakers and so forth. But another great way to overcome self-learning beliefs is get to the underlying data. What is it your, where's the gap? Is it knowledge? Okay, go acquire that knowledge. Is it a skill? Okay, go learn a skill. Is it a new mindset? Okay, figure out how you can switch your mind around so you can have that different mindset to be successful. 100%. 100%. And mindset and attitude is, is critical. It's the foundation of all of it. Yeah, I mean, truly, I think most people, what's between their ears truly is the only thing that gets between them and success, obviously, with some limitations on that, of course. But you know, you're, you're, you're exactly on on that. And I think that um, I catch myself, I have in the past caught myself many times when I think about a dream that I have, and then I think about how I'm spending my most precious commodity, which is my time, and whether or not I'm actually going after that dream. And there's been a number of times where I've looked at um, how I choose to spend my time, and I've realized that it's just not serving me. Um, many years ago, I gave up TV. Recently, I gave up um, even more specific things like NFL and even paying attention. And I just realized that um, these little time sucks 
are stopping me from having the life that I want to have in the time frame that I want to have it. So I've chosen to um, invest my time in areas that are going to get me to my goal faster um, and trying not to rest and relax quite as much along the way, um, knowing that the fruits will come um, at the tail end. Yeah, I can imagine if you actually quantify that time in terms of time spent on social media, time spent binge watching Netflix, what you could do more productively, not just to learn, but also just to be more engaged with your family and your community. Well, that's it exactly, isn't it? I mean, this this idea of binge uh, binge watching on Netflix, I just it just doesn't grok with me, and I'm I'm glad that I sort of gave up TV before that because um, I just we just don't turn it on. Um, I would much rather. I mean, I've got stacks of business books sitting right next to me. I've got you know I've got a list of at least twenty or thirty books that I want to get through on my short list, and I would much rather get you know a third of a way through a book rather than um, you know some movie that I can't even remember a couple of years from now. Of course, balancing it with some time to R and R to to recharge and to unplug a little bit too. Well, hundred percent. I'm on board with that. I mean, COVID hit. We bought an RV. We hit the road. So I'm, uh, I, t- I totally get it on the R and R side and needing to shut off. We're, I'm definitely in a shut off time in my career right now. Yeah, let's actually switch gears a little bit. That's an interesting story. I'd love to hear more about that. So tell me about the RV trip that you guys are on. Well, we saw a couple things when COVID hit. One was um, the office. Um, which was running Ocean House Media and Extality um, in San Diego, um, we didn't really miss a beat when everyone had to work from home. So we did a simple financial analysis on it, literally five minutes on a napkin. It took absolutely nothing for us to realize that we no longer really needed an office and that we could be effective with everyone working from home forever. So we did an early termination on the lease and um, that gave me a ton of freedom, right? Isn't that what entrepreneurs are looking for? It's like, why did you start a business? I'm looking for freedom. Okay, now that you have a business, what do you have? I'm not free. I'm tied down to this. I'm tied down to that. It's ridiculous. So we cut that chain. Once we cut that chain, um, we realized that I could run the businesses that I'm running from anywhere in the world. And we put it to a test. We bought an RV. We piled the family in it. And we drove from San Diego all the way to the tip of Maine, um, zigzagging. We we spent seven and a half weeks. We came through 25 states, did 8,000 miles, and decided to invest in really, really quality family time. Um, I'd still take my my calls with my teams. I was still doing my best to maintain all of my business responsibilities, but we wanted to basically test it out and see what would happen. So as I'm talking to you now, I'm still in Connecticut. We're about to do our our drive back. We're going to be leaving shortly. Um, But this time has um, changed the makeup of my family. And um, I believe that in order to have a successful business, things need to be right at the home. If they're not right at the home, it's really easy to not have your head in the right place. And so, um, you know, I want to do what I can do to invest in the family and then have that as the foundation for everything else that I want to build on top of it. What a fantastic journey. And, and one of the silver linings of code has been time at home. And my the four of us at home, we spent so much time in the pool and playing in the yard and just, especially the first couple of months when we weren't doing anything, literally, outside of getting yep. groceries and getting things delivered. And it's just been a remarkable time to bond. What have you learned about yourself, specifically from a leadership perspective, during this time, during your RV trip? So I've had a lot of introspective time thinking about 
who I am, where I am, what I want to do, and how I want to spend my time. And just the way that I was talking about how um, I had found that I was wasting time on TV and even things like following football, I realized that I've been wasting too much time in the minutia of my businesses. My goal, my, my genuine desire is to be the owner of multiple businesses and the operator of none. And so I've been using this time to try to figure out how I can have these investments um, growing, doing what they need to do with the right teams, but without my day-to-day um, sort of caretaking of them. And I realize that I've got a long way to go to get there, but now I have a new vision of the life that I want to have. Um, so my intention is clear. Um, it's bold. It scares the crap out of me. There have been many times where I've left my business for, you know, two months and come back to just an absolute train wreck. I mean, that happened once where we had a bunch of contracts. I was down in Australia. We had the video game company came back. Contracts had been canceled. No one was able to reach me. It was just a disaster. So there's been this fear of like, I've got to be there. I've got to be there. I've got to be there. And so personally, one of my challenges is to overcome this belief of like, it's not about me. I don't have to be there. I need to have the right team. The team will do the right things. I just need to check in on them, you know, stay in your lane, focus on what you're good at and let the company with the team build itself. So what does this hold for the future? Is this going to be a regular Kripalani trip on the RV across the, across the country? I think it might. We actually have a vision of living around the world. Um, taking the girls out of traditional school, putting them in virtual school. So um, I think there's a very high likelihood that we will become a mobile virtual family for uh, for a couple of years. Yeah. I, that just, to me, that sounds like a ton of fun, right? Like who wouldn't want to do that? Or I mean, I, I guess there's people that wouldn't, but for, in my family, we all want to do that. And if we all want to do that, then we want to find a way to make it happen. Yeah. That's a dream of ours as well. My, I had the um, luxury because it was a tough experience, but my parents pulled the plug in our Northern California life when I was nine. So my sister and I and my parents moved to Switzerland, went to the Swiss public school, whole other story, incredible life experience. And would love to do that with our kids, whether it's domestically here in the U S or ideally somewhere in Europe or Latin America. That's it. Right. And that imprinted on you. And you just said it, you want to do that with your kids. A similar thing happened with me. I got, I got lifted up grade uh, seven and eight. I was in South Korea, grade nine. I was in Australia, um, and I, the life experience that came from it was just out of this world. And I want something similar for my daughters and trying to figure out the best way to make that happen is one of the, one of the things that I'm actively working on. We've been talking about it a lot in the RV. You drive that far, you have a lot of time to talk with your wife and figure out, you know, where you want to go. Absolutely. We do our annual trip to Lake Tahoe. We load up the car with dogs, cats, and even one trip goldfish, which my parents thought were hilarious. And so that's what our annual trip to get away and just to break away from the the grind and really open our minds and, and most importantly, have some great family time. That's it. That's it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on. Where can people find more about you and your businesses? Uh, I'd say that if people want to find out more about me, just to go straight to my personal website, which is just michellecripolani.com. And if you want to know the spelling of that, you can get it from the, the podcast notes or from the name on there. Um, you know, I do some coaching, I do some speaking, and um, I just love entrepreneurship. I love working with folks that want to build businesses, want to build better lives for themselves, their families, and for their teams. And then for the companies themselves, it's extality.com or oceanhousemedia.com. Or if you want to find our apps, just type Dr. Seuss on your iPhone, they'll pop up. 
Very cool. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights, Michelle. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks, and see you all in the next episode.